0: This is the audio of Bible study taught by Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find our website at goodshepherdlincoln.org and there's a a treasure trove of other information available there as well. Uh, Let's get into Bible study now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, well, a couple things before we get started. I did misspeak. The mission of the month for February is actually Luther Classical College. Next month is um, the Women's Care Center. And so I said it wrong. Pastor Poppy gleefully pointed it out. Um, he, said, he likes to point out when I make mistakes. And so he came up to me and said... Um, you know the mission of the Munch is not actually the Women's Care Center. The mission of the Munch, I mean the Munch, is, and he said it three times, but uh, he was gleeful as, you know, I, I understand you make mistakes when you're happy, so. I hate my
1: heart. Yeah. <laughs>
0: is it? Okay, well there you go. I'm just, we're, we're getting it sorted out here, so. All right, um, also then, after the end of Bible study, uh, Tiffany Walker is uh, eager for any volunteers who are able to help start moving some of the chairs and the tables to help, starting, to help start to set up for the pancakes for pecan on Tuesday. So if you're able to stay for a few minutes and help her out, uh, she would greatly, greatly appreciate that. We're talking about Genesis chapters 6 through 8. We're talking about um, Noah and the flood. And um, last time I told you um, that I believe the way to interpret gopher wood is that the ark is a giant basket woven out of reeds coated in pitch to make it waterproof. And I'm not saying there's no lumber or wood that's in it to help support or anything like that, but the walls of the outside of it are woven kind of like this house here, uh, which is an old house in Iraq, and you turn it upside down, and you put a bow and a uh, a tail on it, and you have what the Ark probably looked like. And I say that because there's no other real good way to translate the word gopher. Uh, and so gopher wood means a giant basket made of reeds. And that's kind of where we left off. Can we say that for sure? No, because the word gopher is only used here in our Hebrew Bible um, and nowhere else. And so my, my suggestion is based on other languages and similar words that are related. And so, any questions on that? All right. Well, we're going to keep plugging away then. We're going to talk about the the roof of the ark, the door of the ark, and the decks, or the levels in the ark. And so, um, Scripture does talk about that uh, in... Genesis chapter six and uh, so let i 'm going to read these words we talked about the size last time verse sixteen six sixteen make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark in its side. make it with a lower, a second, and a third decks and so um, I want you to picture in your head, in our, you know, when we think about Noah and the ark, in our mind we all have a tiny wooden ark with kind of a hut on top, and uh, out of the top of the ark they're sticking the necks of the giraffes, and you see all the other animals up on deck, and um, they're just kind of having a, a gay old time up on the, the top of the ark as the flood is happening. That's not what the scripture tells us. Uh, Instead, what the scripture tells us is that there is a roof on the top of the ark, which makes sense. How is the world going to be flooded? By rain. And when it rains, you need to keep the rain out of the ark or it's not going to float. So there's a roof on the ark that allows the rain to run off uh, either onto the sides or even, you know, I'm I'm sure that's partly how they got their water to drink uh, to a certain amount. There is a roof, and the roof and the walls get within a cubit of each other, from finger to elbow, from this close. So that's all the space between the roof and the walls of the ark that there is. And probably the the wall of the ark goes up high enough so that Noah and his family aren't going to be standing up on the upper deck. They're not going to be chilling out with the giraffe's heads sticking out. God isn't letting him look out the ark. Why not? What's going on outside the walls of the ark? Rain. Rain, yes. And the rain is doing what? Killing everything. Okay? Okay? And so, God, in His mercy, has Noah build the walls high enough so that He can't look out and see bodies of dead things floating around outside the ark. Okay, and they would float for a while until they uh, began to be eaten by fish or decompose and sink to the bottom. And with that, there'll be all sorts of other destruction that's visible. And I'm not just talking animal bodies floating out there, but people bodies as well, floating outside uh, on the surface of the water. God prevents Noah from witnessing that and seeing it firsthand in the way he designed the ark. Now, there is a door as well, which makes sense. How is Noah going to get all these creatures into the ark? There's a door in the side, is the way that the scripture describes it. We'll have to talk more about that as we go on, because those of you who are big boaters, what do you know about doors on the sides of boats? They are prone to leaking, Okay, and so I want you to keep this in mind. A door that easily allows animals on board also is a problem for being watertight. And we're going to talk about how God deals with that. And then three decks. We Remember last time we said the ark is about twice as long, not quite twice as long as our church building, and just like our building has three decks Um, And so the height is about the same as our church building, the length twice as long, and the width about the same as well, to give you an idea of the volume um, of the ark. All right, we're going to read verses 17 through 22 of Genesis chapter 6 now. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wives, your, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into the ark, come to you to keep them alive." Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. All right. Now, you notice at the beginning of that, it talks about all the creatures in which is the breath of life. And we talked about how that's kind of the defining term in Scripture for what is alive and what is not. If it's breathing, it's alive. And this also reflects the creation as well, where God made creatures alive by, specifically, people, breathing the breath of life, the Spirit, into them, and that's the thing that made them alive. And so now of all those creatures, they need to come into the ark. And there's people that are allowed to come in the ark as well. And so we have Noah, and everybody knows his wife's name, right? Mrs. Noah. Okay. And Shem and Mrs. Shem. And Ham and Mrs. Ham. And Japheth and Mrs. Japheth. And how many people is that? Eight. Eight people in the ark survived the flood. Now I point that out because, we're going to see this later, Uh, Peter makes mention of this, and it also goes against what the common thought is. Like in Sunday school when we talk about this, when I was little at least, I always thought, okay, Noah and his wife are the only survivors. That's not true. Noah's children and their wives survive uh, in survived the flood in the ark. Now, why I point that out is <clears throat> we don't know for sure, but where's Mrs. Noah from? I mean, it stands to reason that there's a good chance her family dies in the flood, and same with Mrs. Shem, Mrs. Ham, and Mrs. Japheth. Okay. And so in that sense, we have quite a bit of... I'm saying this because there's modern people who say, well, that can't happen because there's not enough genetic diversity in these people to repopulate the earth. And I want to submit to you that it is possible that there's plenty of genetic diversity for that to happen. And for all of us to be descended from them independent of our own genetic uh, diversity. Okay? These eight people survive. Notice then also, we're going to talk more about kinds here in a few minutes, living things, two of every kind, male and female, which makes sense because how do you make babies? Male and a male and a female, when the mommy and the daddy love each other, right? Right? Okay? And so that's the way that the creatures of the earth are going to be repopulated. And so living things, birds, creepy crawlies, right, reptiles and bugs, all of those things, along with building up enough food to keep all of these creatures alive um, through the flood. Now, what does it mean because this is important for us according to its kind. We're going to talk more in depth about this in a minute. I want you to think about this. It does not mean... Let's take dogs, because it's easy. It does not mean that there needed to be a chihuahua, a pit bull, a Labrador, a St. Bernard... A wolf, a coyote, a... I don't know what other kinds of dogs. We'll talk more about it. But instead, what it says is, each one according to its kind. Okay? And we're going to have to talk about this and think about it. Same with cats. Same with birds and finches and eagles. Each according to its kind. We've got to keep that in mind when we're picturing. Because <clears throat> I just went on Friday with the kids. We went to the Henry Dorley Zoo. How many people have been there? Okay. Think about all the creatures that they have at the Henry Dorley Zoo. And they've got them kind of packed in there, right? One on top of another. Well, pack them in a little bit tighter into Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. And then think about all the rest of the creatures that are out there as well. And, and ask yourself, how did every creature get placed on the ark? Well, it's not every creature. It's every creature according to its kind. According to its kind. Okay, keep that mm-hmm. in mind. And I want to talk about this also before we get into more detail on that. Establish my covenant with you. God tells Noah, I will establish my covenant with you. When he says, I will establish my covenant, what tense is that? Future tense, which means it hasn't happened yet, but it. So, what's God promising Noah when the flood is going to come? To save him. The only way Noah can have a future tense is if God keeps him safe. Okay, and a covenant is like a bargain. It's a deal. It's a contract between two people. Okay, and this is when it starts to be talked about. The way you make a covenant is you take. Let's say Laurie and I are going to make a covenant. Okay, Um, we're going to take a goat, and we're going to cut it in half, top to bottom, and we're going to lay one half here and one half there. And in between of the two halves, what's there in between? <laughs> okay, How many of you have cut a goat in half before? <laughs> it's a little messy. So in between is going to be all the blood and the gore. And Lori and I are going to stand there and we're going to make our deal. And the deal, whatever the, the particulars are, if you break your end of the deal, Lori, I'm going to make you like this Goat. And if I break my end of the deal, you get to make me like this goat. And is there a motivation then to keep your end of the bargain then? Yes. yes, because you also will make a mess if they cut you in half. Okay, that's what a covenant is. And in Scripture, in the Hebrew, it's always talked about that way. Even the verb, you don't make a covenant in the Hebrew language. You cut a covenant in the Hebrew language, okay? And that's what it means. That's what's talking about cutting an animal in half. Now, what deal is God going to make with Noah in a covenant? It's the same deal he told Adam and Eve about. What deal is that? Yeah, the promise of a Savior. And I want you to think about this. We're going to talk about it when we get out of the ark in a little while. But I want you to start thinking about it now. What people on earth are not represented in this covenant that will come? Okay. Well, sure, the ones who don't survive the flood. I heard some people say the unbelievers. But even that, um, that's true. But are they able to be included in it? If they only... Right? But the people who are... Um, I'm going to try and just do broad swaths here, so please forgive me. The people who are... Asian, are they included, like Chinese and Japanese and Koreans, are they included, are, are they descended from Noah, okay, yes. the people in Africa, okay, are they included, are they descended from Noah, yeah. the people uh, who were in the United States before Europeans came over, are they included, Europeans. What about Eastern Europeans? You know, those uh, Polish people, they're a little sketchy, right? No, just teasing. I'm just joking. Are they included? Okay. Is there any people group in the world that's not descended from Noah? So when God says, I will make a covenant with you and your descendants, who's he talking about? And so the promise of Christ that is included in this, and we'll talk more about it as we get there, is then for all people on the earth. All right? This promise is now going to be for all those people. And this is important. All right. Tim, you had your hand up a couple times. Right, and and that's why we should not be surprised then when Jesus is ascending into heaven. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations because they're already people whom God desires to be saved. All right, we'll talk more about this, but it mentioned it here. I want you to start thinking about that, looking ahead. All right, animals. We heard there in that section that God wants Noah to take two of every sort of animal into the ark to keep it alive. But now we're going to hear something a little bit more detail-wise. Okay, Verse, or Chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. Then the Lord said to Noah, "'Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation.'" Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground." And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him, say that three times fast, went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth." In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventeenth day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and, all, and the three wives of his sons, with them entered the ark. All right, a little bit repetitive here, but there's reasons for it. Now, first off, this seems to be a contradiction from what we heard earlier. Earlier we heard we're going to get two of every kind of animal, male and female. But all of a sudden we ended up hearing what? The clean animals, we're going to take seven pairs. And of birds, we're going to take seven pairs. Does this mean that the Bible is contradicting itself? I'm alarmed that no one's answering. No. No. In general, two and two, male and female, is the general rule. But then we get the specific details of the clean animals. You're going to bring more of them on board. Why? I heard somebody say sacrifice. sacrifice. When we get through the flood, what's God going to do with Noah? A cut a covenant with him. All right, so you take the two goats, let's just say there's only two goats in there, and you take them and you bring them safely through the flood, and you get out on the other side and you cut them in half. <laughs> Even if you just do one of them in half. All of a sudden, what aren't you going to have any more of? Goats. God has Noah bring extra of the animals that are clean, able to be eaten, able to be used in a sacrifice, able to be sustaining the human population. They bring more of them so that... Those things can take place. Not just the covenant being made, but even the eating of animals is going to be instituted by God after the flood. It makes sense. If you only bring two goats, even if you don't (laughs) cut a covenant with them, if you can all of a sudden eat them, you're not going to have more goats as a result of that. So we have these things that are going to be Additional instructions for what should be brought onto the ark for that purpose to be eaten and to be sacrificed. Now, what's clean and unclean? I see your hand just a second. What's clean and unclean? We don't have specific definitions here. Later on, at the time of Moses, we do get some instructions. Are these the same animals? We could make an educated guess and say yes. Can we know that for sure? No. We just know God took care of it. Because by the way, who's bringing these animals to the ark? God is the one doing this. Okay, so God brings the right amount of the right kind of animals to Noah. And so you see here I have this chart. This is according to Moses, of course, not according to Anything else? We can assume that they're the same, but it's only an assumption. You have clean flying animals like turkeys and doves and chickens, and unclean ones like eagles and, I don't know why, ostriches, right? Okay. Uh, You have clean insects, ones that you can eat like locusts, and you have unclean ones, uh, all of the animals except those in the locust family. You have clean land animals that are tasty, like elk and moose and deer and gazelle and goat and buffalo, and you have unclean ones, some of which are tasty also, <laughs> Okay, uh, like bacon, I mean pigs, not bacon, <laughs> zebra, horses, whatnot. You have unclean ones that are water animals, and that part's not as important in this particular instance, but... You see that? That's from Moses' time. And we can maybe assume that goes back from before Moses, but we can't be 100% sure. All right, Tim, you had your hand up. Oh, you were going to answer I me mean, that I was going to say
1: something about, you know, thinking about the clean and unclean
0: and having to do with the sacrifices yep. and having to do with what we would consider
1: to be um okay. firstborn, things
0: like that. Yep. All right. But are you giving attention when it, and I'm
1: sorry because I wasn't here a week ago or whatever, a timeline in relation to when this uh, took place, the
0: flood took place early in the history of the world? Yes. I, I mean, it's your definition of early, right? Um, I mean, I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying this is probably at least a thousand years before the first pyramid is built. Okay, so that's where I place it. Where 3600 BC, if you follow the Bible according to the Septuagint, is the time frame, and the first pyramid is then about 2700 BC, and so that the reason I think that that is correct according to the Septuagint is because it gives time for the repopulation of the earth and the Tower of Babel to all take place, and these monuments that still exist to be built by people. Um, Yeah, there's more to it, but that's the basics. I know we talked a little bit about that, so... Okay, I want to talk about animals according to their kinds a little bit here, too, because your, your families and your children in school learn about Darwin. And Darwin, when it's taught says there can be no flood okay and so I want to make sure I talk about that how did they fit how did you get all the animals on there I I kind of talked about the zoo already each animal according to its kind and not only according to its kind do you think that Noah brought a full-grown adult elephant into the ark that kind why not? Space. Space. Could he bring a baby elephant, male and female? Yes. That would be much more practical.
1: Also, the older ones are past reproductive
0: times. Right. That's that's the other I've, you're either reading the slide or you're very smart like me. No, just <laughs> Okay. Right. You also want to maximize the amount of time these creatures have to reproduce after the flood. So, you're going to bring young, small, not as hungry animals into the ark. Okay? And you're going to bring them in according to their kind, like we've talked about. And so, I went online and I searched a list of all the canids, all the dogs. Okay, and so you see here, we have timber wolves, prairie wolves, coyotes, dingoes, red fox, arctic fox, silver fox, jackal, lycaon, the hole, the there's a whole list more. Okay, you have all these creatures, but ultimately all of them are dogs, canids, and we even classify them that way today. And they all have different sizes. They have different ears. They have different lengths of tail and different markings in their fur. But you look at all of these, and they all pretty much look like what? All of these that are dogs, then, have at least maybe one or two common ancestors. Now, is there two types of dogs, two kinds in God's eyes? I can't say that. But all of these are dogs And they all then come from the pairs of dogs that were on the ark. And we have a tough time understanding that because evolution has clouded our mind on this. We even think things like, okay, I used to have a Labrador, okay? And we all think, well, we've had Labradors forever, right? Okay, that's not true, (laughs) The earliest Labradors are from the 1800s and every Labrador is descended from this one right here from 1878. Labradors, which we say is a species of dog, are only about 150 years old. Okay, And in fact, every kind of dog that is alive today, their speciization, Chihuahua, Saint Bernard, all that stuff is very recent. Except there's a few of them that are older. <laughs> okay, and so they're related, and you know that they're related because I don't know how you make it work. Okay, Pastor Poppy can figure it out, but this is your your job for the week, Pastor Poppy, to figure out how this can happen. A Chihuahua and a Saint Bernard can breed, right? And you could get a hybrid Chihuahua-Bernard. Bernard Chihuahua? Bern, Bernawa? Okay. <laughs> Chihuahua? Okay, I don't know. You can have a crossbred group of those today. You even see this in, in places like Nebraska where a farm dog and a coyote have a liaison. Okay? And what, what's produced from that? A, a coy dog. Okay? That's happening. And um, I've even seen, and this was in a Yellowstone documentary several years ago, coyotes and wolves also can crossbreed. Why can they crossbreed? They're the same kind. And they're all descended from the same ancestors. Now, can a dog and a cat crossbreed? No. No. So a cat must be a different kind. And you know this because there's kinds of cats, right? But they're all cats. A tiger is a cat. A bobcat is a cat. A leopard, an ocelot, a mountain lion, uh, a house cat. They're all cats. And in fact, they're all related to each other. And they can crossbreed, okay? And here's my proof. Um, And this is in Georgia. If you want to go get your picture taken with a liger... Apparently you can do that. I'm not going to be petting a liger, but you can. Okay, they exist. You see, its face looks like a lion, but it has faint, what, all over its body? Stripes. A liger exists, and in fact, there also is a tie-on, and it depends on which one's the mom and which one's the dad, but they are able to be crossbred, Which indicates that they are of the same kind. Same with horses, right? And this is weird to think about. Horses can also crossbreed with what? Donkeys. Donkeys. Why? They're the same same kind. But their offspring can't, the mule is sterile. Mules are sterile, correct. That doesn't mean that they're not of the same kind. Okay, so this then all of a sudden greatly reduces the number of animals that have to fit on the ark into an actual, manageable, real amount. And it's not that far of a stretch, because if all people with all their different appearances can fit onto the ark and descend from Noah and his family, it should be no surprise that the same happens in all creatures and that they do differentiate. And this is what Darwin said, right? He went and he looked at finches, and he said, well, they're all finches, but some of them have a beak to eat a seed. Some of them have a beak to eat from fruit. They have these different-shaped beaks. Should we be surprised at that? No. no. They're differentiating, but they're all still of the same kind. Okay? That's what that's what the bible teaches and that's what we can see is that creatures have their kinds and they don't cross over the borders of their kind you cannot get a half lion half wolf you can't get a half horse half chicken okay which would be really weird but it doesn't you can't do it okay they they don't cross over Kinds, but within their kind we can see differentiation. Now that's the difference between microevolution, which is the differentiation within a kind, and macroevolution, which is one kind changing into another kind. Macroevolution, there is no evidence of anywhere. And Darwin didn't see it, and he didn't base his theory off of macroevolution because there's no evidence of it. But there is evidence of microevolution, and the easy example is dogs. Over the last several hundred years, there's, there's chihuahuas, there's Irish setters, Labradors, golden retrievers, all those dogs which we know come from common ancestors. But all of them are still... All right. Now, does anybody want to ask any questions about that? I said a lot of things here. Yeah. What about humans? What What about people? Yeah. And I think that's the thing. We're all of the same kind. We're all people. And that's the beautiful thing about it, right? (laughs) Um. I can have a lion and a tiger, and we could do the same thing in in the people thing, as long as we're in the right kind. But what would be outlawed, and I think we have to say this today, um, I cannot marry my pet dog. Or maybe I should say it this way, and I hope I don't make anybody mad, so please don't be mad. Are your, is your dog really your grandkid or your child? No, no. Okay, I heard a groan. Sorry. <laughs> okay, um, that that's that's out out of bounds. They can be your companion and your friend and your pet, but they're they're not really your grandkids. And you know this deep down, which is why you're not going to give. Your dog, the inheritance of all your property when you die. Right? (laughs) Okay. If you are, then I need you to talk to our treasurer because, no, just... (laughs) just, Okay? People are people. We're all the same kind. And for that reason, um, we're free. Freedom, terrible freedom. Okay. All right. Other questions? Yeah, Tim.
1: Just a comment here. I heard recently of somebody that somebody that's more into genetics would be better to this, but the uh, program I listened to, they said that there's only about 2% difference in, uh, in our genes, in human being genes. And so if you think about that, when we have a child or children, you see, there's not that much difference
0: between them. Huh. But, you know, it's interesting because our daughters are four years apart, so and sometimes people confuse them as being twins. But yeah. Or even, um, and you see this when you're a parent and you watch your children grow up, right? You look at your child and you say, you're the same stubborn person that I was when, you're, when I was your age, <laughs> right? Right. And I, I, I prayed real hard, you know, please let the kids be more like Elizabeth and not as much like me. But I still, what do you see? There's, we're not that far apart uh, in that way. All right, yeah, Clint. This uh,
1: brings up some bioethical questions with regard to reporting to their times. I think you have explained it. What about in our medical world where you can get a heart valve from a pig or there have been experiments with heart transplants from baboons and there have been a lot of these experiments that have kind of crossed kinds with regard to humans
0: and Yeah.
1: This opens up uh, oh. <laughs> a
0: whole lot of
1: ethical questions for Christians. It does. Are, are these things to consider? Are these things to abject, abjectly reject? Um, can you give us some help there?
0: <clears throat> yeah, that's a great question. Or even, um, I don't know if you saw it, several years ago, they were growing human ears on the back of mice. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, you ask the question right at 10.15. <laughs> I, you know, I, I mean, there, that opens up a lot of questions. And I guess um, behind a lot of these bioethical questions like this, there's a, there's a lot of things that we need to consider as Christians. And one of the big ones, I think, is motivation. Right? Um, What's your motivation in doing these things? Is it so that people can live forever? Is it so that um, an individual can fulfill their commitments to the people around them? Um, And even, I'm trying to do a real brief answer so we can maybe talk more about it next week. Maybe I should just leave it for us to talk about next week so we can do a better job of it. It is a hard question to answer. And this gets into even more complicated things in terms of the shots that you put in your body, the, I, I think there's questions about transplanting organs um, person to person, right? Chips. Um, what's that? Yeah, Elon Musk is putting chips in people's brains now so you can control your phone just by thinking as if you needed, needed to spend more time on your phone, right? <laughs> um, there's lots of these bioethical questions. Maybe we should dive into them a little bit deeper as a whole. Overall, I say we need to be very, very cautious. I'm going to give the Jurassic Park answer. Often we're so busy thinking and figuring out if we can do something that we never ask the question, should we do something? And we should spend a lot more time on the should question rather than the can question. Okay, got to bring us to a close, Mark. Real quick. Yeah.
1: Could you also think that, that being the same kind refers more or less to the reproduction part?
0: Could you say, the question is, could you say the same kind has more to do with the reproduction part that a person and a dog cannot and should not reproduce? I, I think that's at least a starting point, but I think there is more to it, and that gets to be where it's complicated, and we need to have more discussion about it. Um, So maybe we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit to begin with next week. But humanity is one kind. And within that kind, you have great freedom. Dogs and people are not the same kind. Um, but, you know, and, and that's the thing. <laughs> Remember that. That's why a lot of the weird stuff on the internet is not good. That's all I'll say. And if you took confirmation with Pastor Poppy, he said it much more clearly. Okay? <laughs> it drew diagrams on the board. It was... Whew. Okay. All right. With that in mind, let's close with the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. Amen. Okay. you sure.